Welcome to your birthday episode. Thank you. I'm excited for this one. I know. That's why we chose uh, Wes Anderson for this yeah. week's episodes. One of my favorite filmmakers. Yeah. Easily. And I was not much acquainted with him until you suggested a few mu- movies. <laughs> a few movies? Mm-hmm. That's the, the way the cool kids are saying, you know, mm-hmm. movies. Just Some talkies. Is that what yeah. they used to be called? I, why did we stop calling them talkies? I love that. The novelty of the talking wore off. Yeah. And then there was like all the old movies are like produced in Technicolor. And now that's gone away because. I do kind of miss that. I know. I miss like the beautiful. I never had credits. it, but I kind of miss it. Miss what? The, the Technicolor yeah. screen? Yeah. It'll, it's there. We can just go watch an old movie. It's true. Just go watch um, like Wizard of Oz. That was like one of the yeah the big ones. We're not here to talk about the Wizard of Oz. No, we're here to talk about Wes Anderson. We are. So welcome to Source Material. Welcome back. Yes. We're I, talking about the footnotes for Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is honestly just kind of a Wes Anderson fan cast. Yeah. Moment. So we're just going to be really focusing on Wes Anderson and. Because we didn't talk about him a lot in the no, first episode. No, we didn't touch on him a lot. So this one's going to be about his past work um, and then his most recent stop motion yeah. film, Isle of Dogs, I want to And get we into. wanted to do this because this is the only opportunity we're going to get on this podcast <laughs> to talk about him. Yeah, exactly. Because this is the only movie he's adapted. Maybe that'll change, but I know this next movie is also an original screenplay. So. That's true. These are all... So um, this will be our last, originals. unfortunately, for now. For Wes Anderson. Our last Wes Anderson the focused podcast. This is your birthday. I'm already sad. You're already sad? It's your birthday episode. It is. It's supposed to bring you joy. It is. He'll always be there for you. You can't have joy without sadness. That's true. You don't know one without the other. So... You are the Wes Anderson expert. So I don't know if I'd call myself an expert. Out of the two people sitting here, you are. I have only recently started watching his films. I have not seen all of them. I think I've seen a majority. I think I've seen five. I've seen all of them except for one, mm-hmm. I think. I always knew of him as this very aesthetically pleasing director. That was his rep that I yeah. heard through the grapevine. He's got a very distinct style, visually... Um, his stories kind of, they're, yeah. they're all original, but it, they follow a same tone. He's maybe? got a distinct style, I guess, across the board, I would say. Yes. Um, there's nobody quite like him out there. I think that I've found. No, in terms of at least modern, modern filmmakers, I suppose he's, I know he's got a lot of people that he, uh, credits as inspiration for his film. So maybe there are some filmmakers that I'm unaware of that, that are, have some of the same. Yeah, I have a feeling he probably draws inspiration from um, like maybe the golden era of Hollywood kind of um, directors just because I get... Yeah, and actually when you watch some of his movies anyways, you it feels like you're watching an older movie. There's, there's something about there's it that's quality, timeless. There's a quality, timeless quality to it for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good, good way of putting yeah. it, timeless, because you can watch some of his movies and... He, there's not really you couldn't really say when it's set exactly that's like the first thing I noticed is because it's not a movie that incorporates a lot of pop culture moments so no. there, you're never gonna see someone on an iPhone you're never gonna hear Lizzo playing on a stereo well, okay like Life Aquatic they were wearing Adidas shoes but 
that's true, but I still struggled to like find the decade it was in. Yeah. Like I figured it was maybe like late sixties, early seventies, but yeah. then there were, there were these other moments. So that's also very unique is you have to suspend, you know, disbelief when you watch his films because you have to just kind of fall into the world. It's almost dreamlike. Yeah. His movies. It's like, can't place anything. Yeah. It's hard to place in, in reality, which I kind of like that a lot. You get this, uh, very unique kind of feel. It's truly that the reason people go to movies to escape your world. And he creates a world that's tangible enough and feels enough like yours. Like if there was one director that I'd say encapsulates the phrase movie magic to me, it'd be Wes Anderson. Oh, for sure. Because every time I go to them, his movies, I'm truly transported to a different world. Yeah, but yeah, I really love. You don't. It's not so unbelievable a world. There's still recognizable things in it. Another thing I love about Wes Anderson is he deals with really kind of serious, dark, deep situations, and and he makes it whimsical. He, he somehow, which is just a very comforting thing to watch. I don't know what it is, but they. I mean, all of his uh, it's a common thing in his movies to deal with like not very happy people. I wouldn't say his characters are ever no the, it happy, seems joyful, content. They're always fighting or searching for something, going after something they think is going to make them happy is a common right. theme. Right. I would say. Usually there's one who's pretty depressed. There's a more hopeful, naive character. Um, we recently watched uh, Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Bill Murray playing Steve... Zisu is kind of going through a rough time. He's depressed. He's not, he's, he's not in his prime. And then in walks Owen Wilson's character who is very hopeful and naive. And it's true. And then you can kind of track some of that throughout his other movies too. I'm going to give a little background. Um, he was born in Houston, Texas. Hey, there you go. I would not put him I'm pretty familiar with. Um, Wouldn't put him for a, a Texas boy. He doesn't, yeah, he certainly doesn't fit the stereotypes of But that's uh, me generalizing, so tisk-tisk to me. My apologies, Houstonians. I take it back. It's a cool city. There's a lot of cool people. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of potential listeners, so don't piss them (laughs) off. (laughs) Um, He was born, it wasn't really born into, um, it seems like an artsy house. Um, As far as the occupations of his parents, anyways, his... uh, his parents were a realtor and archaeologist. So he wasn't, Ooh. he had, didn't really have a lot of connection to Hollywood or filmmaking um, growing up from his parents, anyways. He might have from other sources, but. Unless his dad was Indiana Jones. Maybe. Maybe he wished his dad was Indiana Jones or something. And that's how he started or watching. Or thought he was when he was a kid. Yeah, and that's how he started watching the movies. Yeah. Um, exactly. He went to the University of Austin, Texas, where he met his uh, longtime he- collaborator and friend, Owen Wilson. In Austin? In Austin. They both were at the University of Texas. I feel like they both embody their their town phrase. Keep it weird. Yeah. Yeah. But like weird definitely. Is, a, is definitely a compliment. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, my. Every um, time I hear Owen Wilson's name, I just want to go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time after. Um, There's that YouTube video. It's just a <laughs> compilation of him saying that for, I don't think it's like three or four minutes. <laughs> I can't remember. We watched one of the movies with him in it where he said, wow, a lot. Um, and I think I, for a week, I just yeah. found myself saying that yeah. at every opportunity. <laughs> um, his 
first film was Bottle Rocket in 1996. And that, that was... Wait, 1996? 1996, yeah. That... Oh, I don't know why... I've, I don't know why that seems like early. He doesn't he's seem 50. like... No, he's not. Yeah. He's got the skin of a porcelain baby. The, <laughs> Have you seen he, him? I'm pretty sure he's, he, he's just got a good skincare regime, I guess. I don't know. Regimen. <laughs> regime? Just a moisturizer. I got quote. My brain does it a lot. It'll get close to the word I'm looking for. Not quite get there. Takes me a second. The moisturizer is yeah, called a coup. I would have put him like a 40 tops. Wow. I don't he's tell you. Fi- well, he that makes sense. Just Owen did Wilson. the Wes Anderson wow in real time. Um, <laughs> you can't help it. Yeah. Okay, that, wow. So that film was um, based on a short film. So he started out as a short film that he did with Luke and Owen Wilson. And that was all three of their debuts. Really? Was the first the short film and they made it into the feature length. That's the one Wes Anderson movie I haven't seen yet. Well, same. Well, I need to, more I need to see, but I need to watch it. That's um, interesting. Did he make that film as just like in college or was it when they I think were it out? was after college? Okay. It was a crime kind of crime comedy. I love those. What I've seen. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I like that premise. Um, next movie, 1998 was Rushmore. I have heard good things. Also one that I have not seen. Very good movie. It was actually his first collaboration with two of his kind of uh, regulars. His Jason ensemble. Schwar- yeah, Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray. And Bill Murray has been in, I believe, every single Wes Anderson movie yeah. since this one. He offered to rush more for free because he liked the script so much. And I think that was probably in Bill Murray's heyday in the late 90s. Yeah, he was, I think that was an interesting period for Bill Murray because he did... I think that's where you start to see him do some of his more artistic work, like work away from kind of comedy, pure comedy, not just comedy, but blockbusters. Like, uh, I mean, you had ghostbuster. He did ghostbusters. Caddyshack. I mean, all those kinds of movies. What about Bob? Uh, you know, groundhog day. Yeah. And like in that, the late nineties is where you start to see him kind of, I feel like do his thing, like do his thing, what he wanted to do. Well, he doesn't have an agent. I know. He, I think he's so just cool. got a he's just got a one eight hundred number that people have to call and hope that he picks up. And and I think I heard that. Can we call Bill Murray and get him on this podcast? We we can try. I will try every day for the next fifteen years. Um, I don't know if he still has that, but I know I'm pretty sure at one point in time he had that. That's amazing. Um, he ended up getting a scale for the movie, which is like a standard amount of money that you have to get through the screen actors guild, I believe. Okay. So I think he ended up estimated. He ended up getting paid about nine grand for (laughs) Rushmore. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, Bill, Bill Murray. This is the guy who did ghostbusters. Yeah. Groundhog day. He doesn't need that money. (laughs) No, he doesn't. That's Um, so cool. Yeah. The next movie, Royal Tenenbaums was came out in 2001. That one I did see. That was his first Academy Award nomination for best original screenplay. It was... He's at two. It's a very good... It's very good. Yes. Um, 2004 came out The Life Aquatic. That was the... Bill Murray starred in that one as well, along with Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. And that was his first foray into stop motion animation. So a lot of the aquatic yeah. life in that movie was made using stop motion animation, 
which I think was like the fir- put the first seed in his head to can do a feature length, like which which he, which he did with Fantastic Mr. Yeah, Fox. Yeah, it's interesting to see, like if you think about that being the first attempts to stop the, motion, the evolution and the stop motion is, and not only his direct direction of it, but the quality the of techniques. it. I mean, we'll talk a little bit. I mean, about Isle of Dogs in a little bit. We'll talk oh, yeah. about it, but that I mean, that's the third movie he's done stop motion in, and it. I mean, the, just the progression between right. the three that he's, he's utilized it yeah. I mean, is insane. In Life Aquatic, I noticed like it was more about it, the stop motion moved quickly, like the way that they sped it up. Yeah, kind of. So like you weren't like sure if it was stop motion. It wasn't it was very clear. It was kind of unnaturally quick, but I mean, that kind of fit though, because fish sometimes move like no, that. No, no, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying in, in terms of evolution, it was, it wasn't obviously the style it fit really well yeah, but if you did. look at it compared to fantastic mr fox where the details are just mm-hmm. unbelievable and it, then moving on to isle of dogs where it's just almost like i don't like i'm yeah. living in a claymation daydream world like i get lost between yeah. our reality and it's <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just really interesting to to you can see it's the much maturity. more rudi- it's much more rudimentary for sure but it fits the style because oh yeah it does 100 percent. it doesn't feel out of place in the movie the at all. set in that movie is literally just a boat cut in half yeah it's not meant to look necessarily which i think was like his, his the first picture he had in his head of that movie was the boat cut in half which i love because it kind of feels like a stage play yeah if, and it's it's a really cool shot you see everybody in their own little space in the in the boat yeah doing kind of in their own little worlds inside this boat and all at once it's, it's a really cool shot and it makes I mean, sense because ships and boats like below deck are so crammed and like i can't imagine like there are some scenes where he films like in those tight spaces but yeah. it's very cool to like open it up and be like oh that's where everything is yeah it, yeah I, I love the the imagery and cinematography in his movies it's, it's yeah. beautiful it really is. What's um, the next one? 2007, he did Darjeeling Unlimited. Oh, yes. And those, interestingly, are probably his two least well-received movies, that and Life Aquatic. I will say I like Life Aquatic more than Darjeeling. Darjeeling... Darjeeling got dark... Well, Darjeeling Ooh. was kind of unique in Wes Anderson's, I would say, filmography in the sense that it it was like the one that I watched that didn't didn't give me that feeling like I was in another transport to another world. I agree with that. It, it was very much like, it, I mean, it was just set. It was like a movie set in India, whereas like a lot of his other movies are, they don't have a time, a place. place Even if they tell you where it's at, it just feels like it's not rooted necessarily in our reality. Like yeah. an alternate kind of, it's a parallel reality. That's like close. But the Darjeeling limited is the first, is the first, maybe the only one of his that like is more of a, it, you know, you know what I mean. It just feels like it's in our world a little yes. bit more. It doesn't it doesn't quite transport me as much as the other ones. Right. I mean, some of his earlier work that kind of fits. And granted, I haven't seen Bottle Rocket. Right. Um, but yeah, I suppose Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums were a little bit more like that too. But. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, there was still something that took me out of it. Yeah, for some reason that movie was the one that uh, sticks out of my the, head. The whimsy wasn't as there. I think it was dealing with a heavier topic. And it ended on a heavy note. So, yeah. yeah. still a good movie, but it was maybe... It the, wouldn't be my first recommendation. The least, the least Wes Anderson-y of all Wes Anderson movies, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. But it's still great. It's still a good movie. A good cast. 
then 2009 fantastic mr fox came out yes which we've already talked about in depth um uh, after that, 2012, Moonrise Kingdom was his next, next movie. Moonrise Kingdom was kind of his, kind of brought him back to that to that commercial success. He hadn't really quite reached the peak or the heights of Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. with, his, with the next three movies commercially as he did with Moonrise Kingdom. And that kind of tracks because thinking back, I think Moonrise Kingdom was really the first movie of his that I really heard about. I agree. Cause I remember seeing that I actually previews. got buzz. Yeah. Um, that, so it was the first movie I was really, really aware of within pop culture. I saw a lot of previews. I Me saw too. there was a lot of like, a big push for it. I think, um, before that, I think I'd really only heard of him in like, you know, certain film classes or certain right. friend circles. I was in in college where he was kind of known, but not famous, Yeah, you know, but, I didn't watch Moonrise Kingdom when it came out. I watched it, I think, last year. This was the he was also nominated for best original screenplay for Moonrise for Moonrise along with um, the Royal Tenenbaums earlier. So after Moonrise Kingdom, the next movie was Grand Budapest Hotel. I remember hearing a lot and about that, was that one. By far, I think his biggest critic or commercial success. It made a lot of money. I would him. say that in terms of the movies I watched of his. It's like I love that movie. It's like neck and neck, like Isle of Dogs. I really think he's stepping his game up as far as the last few movies. I think have been his aesthetic. Has so it, only this, more exactly, refined. Exactly what it is. Yeah, it's it, it's much more refined. You're right. He's getting. He's all about before. There's a, there is an aesthetic, and you can see the patterns. But this is where he starts to get into his color palettes yeah. and the costumes and the symmetry and the movement he of the camera. elements of that in all of the previous movies. I think these most recent three are the most complete as far as his vision. Like, Marrying I think it all I together. I think it's the most realized maybe his vision has been. That, I agree. You know, in the last three movies, I think he's I really found, found a groove with that. He's found, he's so I'm really excited fine for tuning one. that aesthetic that I think he's just, you have to you have to do trial and error to find it, right? Yeah. And the last two movies have just been beautiful. They all are beautiful, but these are just definitely. 2018, then he did Isle of Dogs, his most yeah. recent movie, uh, the second full feature stop motion film he did after Fantastic mm-hmm. Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. Also critically well received, mm-hmm. critically, and, and also did pretty well at the box office as well. When I first saw previews for that. I did not, I didn't know it was Wes Anderson until I saw, I think I saw like a cardboard cutout at like a local theater. Yeah. I was a little bit actually, I remember my initial reaction seeing that that was his next film, a little disappointed. Yeah. I was like, what is this going to, I wasn't, you didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be about. Yeah. I mean, I'd really liked the fantastic Mr. Fox, but it wasn't one of my favorites of his. Right. I agree. And, uh, so I was kind of like, oh man, I wanted to see another kind of live action film mm-hmm. from him, which his next movie will be. I think his next movie is coming out in 2020. Nice. He uh, has a fi- very finished filming already. It's going to be called the um, French dispatch, a musical comedy along with all of what I've, I've already said about him <laughs> it, the recurring cast members he's gotten, I think is another Testament to how well regarded he is as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. He has, Francis McDormand is working on his new movie. He's worked with Owen and Luke Wilson, 
Bill Murray, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Edward Norton, um, Jason Schwartzman, Angelica Huston, Shorsa, I don't know how to fuck up her name. Saoirse Ronan? Saoirse Ronan, Kate Winslet, I mean, Tilda Swinton, Elizabeth Moss is going to be in her next movie. I mean, really? And a lot of those guys keep coming back for like every movie. Well, and that's a testament too because his. For a long time, they weren't. Um, well received isn't the word I'm looking for. They weren't big box office hits. No, and I I would argue they're still not necessarily. He, uh, yeah, I would say they're still smaller. Yeah, but they are successful for a very unique artsy film. It's, oh yeah, for sure. It's not for the kind of films he's making. They make a lot of money. Exactly, and that says that these people want to work on it because it's not about necessarily the money but they know it's an amazing role it's going to be great writing it's probably fun as hell and i i can't i can't imagine that, those, that other like the crazy cast he has with like bill murray and owen wilson and francis mcdormand yeah. like just just like just i'll die and well and i know that bill murray and jeff goldblum and them like would travel to europe for like to scout out sites for movies and stuff like that too so the fact <sighs> that they're that involved is really cool to me like i think i saw when they were doing Grand Budapest, someone spotted him with Jeff Goldblum and Bill Murray out. And I think it was some Eastern European country. I can't remember what it is right now, but mm-hmm. I think as an actor, it would be that would be you would look forward to that kind of like working on those movies. So I mean, oh, it makes sense sure. that he keeps getting people back. Yeah, and they're just so interesting. The roles he has are so interesting, and and while you the dialogue see, is witty. I mean, it's just yeah. yeah. Well, you see the same people coming back. You don't necessarily think. Oh, he's playing a version of Steve Zissou. He's playing right. a version of a Tenenbaum. Like, they're they're familiar faces, but the characters are so varied and so unique to the the world and the story he creates that it's not it's not like oh, it's Bill Murray. Definitely. And that that's something that, especially when you're using stars as big as them, as yeah. as with as much name recognition, it's amazing that you can just be like, oh, this is a this is a world that he's created and I can just kind of plop into it. So I think that's, that's pretty great. Cause mm-hmm. I don't ever go see a movie with Dwayne, the rock Johnson and think he's anyone other than fucking Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Yeah, that's true. That's who he is. Yeah. There are actors like that who play different versions of themselves, the same that either themselves or the same character. Right. By but. choice or by casting. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, so that's interesting. I really want to get into um, Isle of Dogs. Yeah, I think we're going to highlight this one a little bit more because this is the only other stop motion film. And it is fun. I mean, it is another comparison. You know, we're all about comparisons here to how a style has changed. Yeah, let's start off. I mean, this movie is one of the most visually stunning, I would say movies, but pieces of art I've ever seen. It does feel like you're watching... I don't, I just, the, I, yeah. oh, I can't like phrase There's it. There's a lot of times throughout that movie. I was like almost breathtaking. Like with just, it's hard to explain. There's a, I mean, there's some shots that you see and you, I mean, when you think if, this is stop motion, like there's you a think scene of the where they're, work. they're in a lab and there's all uh, this crazy stuff going on in the background and they're just, they're making a, uh, an antidote for the, right the dog so, flu, which is part of the story. Yeah. I'll get into that in a second. But yeah. I mean that lab, I mean, there's just some really visually kind of insane a, like sh- scenes. It's almost unfathomable to me. So for the story, it is set in Japan. So, um, 
I think it's pretty commendable that a lot of the Japanese citizens, he has created this whole world, this whole city that has a president, um, a council. Um, The problem of the movie is the canine flu, but those people are voiced by Japanese voice actors and speaking Japanese, and then which includes Yoko Ono. She, it does, she voices the character, yeah. which is kind of cool. She, she, Yoko Ono's in it. I love it. I love her. Character's but yeah, look. I, it was really interesting watching a movie where another language is spoken for a lot of it, and a lot of that wasn't translated in subtitles. Uh, right. and, and like the dogs, interestingly, spoke English. That was so the foreign language. The, jog, yeah. the dogs, which I thought was a really kind of interesting. I thought that was cool. Right. And there's like, I think two other characters in the movie. There's a translator and a foreign exchange student who's speaking yeah. English, right? He does, he does a really clever thing where he has a character who's literally, you know, poised as a TV translator for an international news station. Yeah. So parts of the movie kind of feel like you're getting a news piece, mm-hmm. but she is translating someone speaking Japanese. And then the dogs speak English and can't understand Atari, this little boy who speaks Japanese and, you know, he can't obviously understand them. So the whole crux of the film is um, a canine flu breaks out in this city and the president, or he's really more like a dictator, banishes every dog to Trash Island where they... It's basically a landfill. Right. And the first dog that goes is his nephew's dog, Spot. Who was his, his adopted nephew, his adopted, his adopted nephew. Yes. Who he, who he's the guardian of. Yeah. He got him, um, kind of like a guard dog yeah. to keep him safe. And as like a gesture of quote unquote goodwill, he's like, my dog's the first to go send your beloved pets to trash Island. Yeah. And the rest of the movie is about finding a cure. The dictator being a cat lover. Yeah. That's the thing is like that. They covers it up. It's like a line of like, cat lovers basically that yeah. are trying to eradicate the dog. The whole like the whole council is just like everyone petting a cat and they're like yeah. dogs oh we can cure them. It's interesting because no. it's almost like James Bond the kind of villainy it's like yeah. there's him and then there's the council and there's this secret society of kind of cat, cat lovers. lovers that are yeah. So it's yeah it's pitting cat and dog lovers kind of against each other in a playful way. Um and then Atari going on a mission to Trash Island to find his to dog. To find his dog, yeah. And be reunited and then curing all the dogs. And yeah, so that's kind of what yeah, it's focusing on. Yeah, that's the basic on. premise of it. The majority of the movie is spent following Atari, this young boy, on Trash Island, mm-hmm. meeting these dogs, tr- trying to locate his dog. Yeah. If he's alive, if he's dead, all that. Yeah. Which is really really it's a fun story but i think i love that he um it was in it was probably 50 50 japanese english yeah i would say it's not a foreign language film in the sense that no it's, it's not. all in japanese no. but it is interesting because you don't know that going into it yeah you know we're pl- privileged enough to think it's all going to be in english right. so that was a huge part i think of the world building mm-hmm. and the animation in a world that we live in today where everything is CGI and 3d and so crisp and clear and lifelike, there's something about seeing and knowing that something is stop motion and still feeling like it's real. It really is insane. The, how the quality of it that they got, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe almost how good it looks. 
because you know you know when something's animated right you know when you're yeah. watching like wreck it ralph like you know yeah. it's animated but it feels kind of real a little bit but this is just something that, that that can't touch it because it's something that they literally molded with their own hands yeah and like each little individual hair, hair is on like moved. the dog's faces will move throughout and like like the, it's, if it's blown with wind well, the way they did like they had different kind of like smoke clouds yeah the explosions explosions and, i mean the way they did that was looked beautiful and there's a couple scenes that just you're watching and you, you just you can't it's so beautiful i mean the way they did it is just it's if it's i don't know how to explain it well because you hear the term stop motion you think you're going to be able to it's see like, it's eye candy you see like the, the lab scene is one that sticks out. There's another scene where this guy is making sushi. It's a seven second scene that took months to shoot Six and animate. Six months, I think. Yeah, I mean. To shoot that. And it's just, when you're watching it, it, it really, I don't know how to explain it. And it's, to know that there's no, there's no, there's not someone behind a computer like making like the adjustments. Like it's yeah. somebody standing over a table of puppets and props and moving them just oh so it so looks small. so good and and it's almost it's a big testament to Wes Anderson that he he does a stop motion animation film mm-hmm. almost a completely different medium especially yeah. if you're directing yeah and it keeps his the same feel yes for sure it's very much a Wes Anderson movie and the fact that he was able to do that and translate his style mm-hmm. onto stop motion I mean Especially That's, when he has to literally scale it down. Yeah. How hard that would be to, I mean, it's almost, it's a completely different skill. You're still directing, but it's. I feel like he's pretty collaborative in this process. And obviously he had, yeah, he, he did, he had a lot of people he worked with. And I think a lot of the people that worked on Fantastic Mr. Fox mm-hmm. and the animation worked on this movie as well. Yeah. So he had. So he had some continuity there and he yeah. had some, he already had some practice working on a couple of other movies and you can, you can, it shows cause it's just so refined this time. Yeah. So in order to make this all happen, first off, it's the longest stop motion film that's ever been made. So groundbreaking in that sense. Yeah. And it took 30 animators and a year and a half to create. That is so crazy. each animator's goal was by the end of the week to have a seven and a half second clip. Wow. So you can see why it took probably a year and a half to simply film. Yeah. And then however many more years to edit all. The amount of work. Every single, there's single frames. Yeah, the amount of work that must, yeah, it's. Well, there were 670 crew members to create the puppets, the sets, the costumes. That's crazy. Well, if you think about it, so the puppets are about six to seven inches tall. Then you have to think about, well, they had to make the clothes to that scale and then the sets to that scale. And then there's like the tiniest, most delicate writing on the clothing and yeah, on the, the detail. Rest. And you're like, how the hell do you get something so crisp and beautiful when it's like not even a, a millimeter? Of the space? amount of detail is crazy. Cause you could skimp on that. Yeah. Like I think a lot of directors would skimp on the set. I think it might be set. my second favorite claymation movie. What's your first ever? Recream for Tuesday. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> By Ben Wyatt. By Beautiful. Ben. <laughs> it's a work of art. It lasts all of two seconds. But. I, the minute I said which one, I was like, he's going to say Requiem for Tuesday. <laughs> but that's the... sweet, sweet claymaceous. You know? The claymation. The claymation. How could I be depressed? Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what I made. No, Russ Anderson took this so seriously to the point where 
in order to get realistic movements for characters or reactions between a dog and um, Atari, he would videotape himself doing the motion he described in the, in the same kind of frame that would fit into the scene, the same kind of dimensions that they wanted. Mm. So like when Atari goes out to pet the dog, like he videotaped like a two second clip of himself, like wow. reaching out and send it to the animator so they could, so they had a reference. Yeah. Animators themselves would, would um, film themselves walking because they said, the walk is the hardest part to get because that can tell you a lot about the character or the dog. Yeah. Each face had removable mouths. I mean, when you think about like translating an actor onto that, the claymation kind of model. Yeah. I mean, there's actors. I think I saw, I, I remember a story where, um, John Travolta has different walks for every single one of his, I believe characters like, um, Vinny Vega in Pulp Fiction had a distinct walk that he would practice and do. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that would make sense that you're trying to be consistent with a character yeah. in their walk, the way they move, their characteristics, everything you mm-hmm. would think an, an actor would need to do, they needed to do for each claymation model or each char- yeah. a- character in the movie. And I mean, yeah, that's, they, I mean, it comes off so well. I mean, really it's astounding to me, the work that the, the people working on that movie did is the research yeah. the, like just the basis, like they even put GoPros on dogs it's, to yeah. get a sense of like what they were attracted to, what they really, how they moved, like just like how a dog would respond to a certain environment. That's crazy. I mean, there's the amount. Yeah. That's the kind of like the work and the detail that went into this. It's, I, it's, it's mind blowing. And I think you can, you definitely can appreciate the film, not knowing everything that goes into it because it is truly, it might be one of my favorite films aesthetically. The story I thought was beautiful yeah. and amazing and very, it was light, but it touched on a lot of big issues like he does with that whimsy. Yeah. That's where I was like, I cried at the end of it. I wept. And it's a, it's a claymation movie. Yeah. I'm an adult woman. Every time I watch it, I think I cry. It's beautiful. Everyone needs to watch it's it. It's a magical movie. I mean, it really is. Truly it's, magic. Yeah. I, it's given me a, that deeper appreciation of Wes Anderson. Yeah. I love fantastic Mr. Fox, but Isle of Dogs, I think he honed what his craft even more. And I think he used different, um, as a filmmaker, kind of styles. Yes. Yeah. For like, I don't, I think his, well, I think, this is claymation. I think his other ones were. And fast, fantastic Mr. Fox, he was going off of Roald Dahl's book. I think he, yeah. he was trying to stay faithful to that book and, and the mm-hmm. aesthetic it has too, because it has some, some drawings in it as well Yeah, and has, have his style. And I think he did a really good job of that, mm-hmm. but to see a, a feature film claymation, um, you know, claymation movie that was just him, just his yeah. style, his vision, his writing a hundred percent without that kind of source material to work off of. Yeah. That was, it's a special movie for that. I it think. is. I will say like fantastic. Mr. Fox watching it was the first time I got a sense of his love for, um, uh, color palette. So those colors in Fantastic Mr. Fox are very monochromatic think, in terms of oranges and browns yeah. and yellows and dark greens. I think it, that progresses quite a bit. It does. I mean, d- the, even in the Darjeeling Limited. Yes, very a, bright. He's got a very distinct kind of color palette he he works with. And uh, yeah, I agree. In Life Aquatic, it does as well. And then into but Grand Budapest. Certainly with 
the claymation movies, you have more control over ev- everything. Right. right. I would. Yeah. Like everything Isla in a Dogs. Shot, you is planned yeah. out. You have control. So it would make more sense. Isla that Dogs. It pops a little more then, but yeah, it's very black, white, yeah. brown. It sticks to kind of like the pe- color palette of the dogs fur. Yeah. Like that's what everything else is kind of based. I mean, on. the of. large setting of it is Trash Island, which is not very colorful. So. Yeah, it's pretty fucking dismal. But I will. Okay, that being said, though, there are some scenes that are just like an explosion of colors, like right. the lab scene and They're the sushi scene. They're very purposeful. Are very yeah. It's it is eye candy. Like it makes your eyes feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. Animation is moving more and more towards realism. Yeah. With the technology of today. Definitely. Whereas we'll I want to be that, taken back to, I want to just look at frozen two that's come out. So the trailer that's come out so far of that, I mean, the water looks, it looks real realistic. Like Moana. I was like, it almost looks photorealistic, yeah. which is awesome. I mean, it looks amazing, but it, yeah, it loses a little bit of that qual like that kind of like magical right, that quality was, to it. I think for me, I mean, not to say that's not also an amazing achievement because people have poured hours into getting that oh, right absolutely. too. Right. But it, yeah, it's a little bit different. You, I want to feel, I want to see the magic that they're animating yeah. and I want it to all kind of be a cohesive feel. And there's something about this movie that made me feel like when I watched Cinderella as a little kid and they had the, the moment where she twirls in her dress and, and that was apparently Walt Disney's favorite scene that was ever animated. Cause really? it goes from rags literally to riches. Yeah. And that was like, I was like, Oh my God, how, how's that happening? Yeah. And that was like back in, you know, 2d right. animation era. Well, 2d, it wasn't meant to look, you know, like wreck it Ralph where it, it looks very, there's more depth, to more it, yeah. depth. There wasn't as much depth to it. I don't know. There was something about this movie that made me feel like a kid again. Oh yeah, definitely. It definitely made me feel like a kid again, but not in a silly no rowdy way it was it, it wasn't, wasn't nostalgic it wasn't patronizing which yeah. i feel like a lot of kids movies can come off as it wasn't trying to make me nostalgic for uh, a type of movie or animation i'd seen growing up it was something that was so unique and beautiful that it made me feel like a kid because it felt like i got to experience something new yeah that i hadn't got to kind of experience definitely. before i agree I, it definitely takes i definitely got the same feeling there's, uh, there's just, I really can't recommend yeah. that movie more. I think I'm going to watch it when we stop recording. Yeah, <laughs> we, should, we should put it on. Because it's just, it's art. It needs to have a display All, in the MoMA. Yeah. Like, let's be if you haven't, If you haven't gotten it by now, you, uh, just if you haven't seen Wes Anderson movies, just go watch them. I mean, go they, watch in no them. particular order. No, they're not, they're not any he sort doesn't of do sequels. universe. Just yeah. watch them whatever go read the synopsis or don't read the synopsis look at the art cover of the the covers of the the blu-rays or whatever you're looking at they tell the story for you and pick out the one looks much most interesting and just get going also there's that instagram account that what is it oh um that uh we both follow now yeah accidentally wes anderson i think accidentally wes anderson yeah let me look uh it's basically this instagram dedicated to people sending photos of scenes pictures um environments that they're in that are so like aesthetically pleasing it looks like you're living inside of a wes anderson film and it's just a a nice little ray of sunshine so yeah it's called wes anderson planet it's very fun 
Yeah, if, but it's just it's just if somebody sees something out in the world that they think looks like it was kind of dropped a, out a of a frame a, out of Wes yeah. Anderson movie, they'll it it's a cool it's a cool. Uh, it's so account. interesting because I don't feel like there are a ton of directors that could have such recognizable yeah uh, aesthetic and direction. Yeah. So the fact that people see it. Yeah, I just love his I love his style so much. But he's he's a good one. So uh yeah, go watch all those movies, but preferably um Isle of Dogs and um if you hate it all the rest. Don't tell me because it's impossible to hate that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well that probably sums up our Wes Anderson fan cast. Yeah. Um Wes, well, you know, we had to get it. We had to get it out because this is the only episode we're able to talk about him. So I know it does make me a little sad because I feel like it's nice to uh, it's nice to cover some directors that I admire before we get into uh, more of the movies that are just complete and utter <laughs> shit. Ha- we have so. to savor the good, yeah, uh, that while we can before we have get to the bad and the ugly. Into, yeah, some other things. Because uh, we've already had one. Wrinkle in Time was our first real big flop. There's come. There's some coming up. Uh, oh, that mm-hmm. we have to talk about. But yes. Well, thanks for stopping in. If anyone knows Wes Anderson, um, just send this to him as a love letter. Um, our love letter to Wes. Yeah, Anderson. he can email us at sourcematerialpod <laughs> at gmail Yeah, Wes Anderson. If you, you want to come on for an interview, that'd yeah. be amazing. Wes, just follow us at Source Material Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Source Matt on and, Twitter. You know what, Wes Anderson? If you have a recommendation about a book you want us to cover, or a general comment about how awesome we are, or anything like that, you can yeah, email us at. What's the email? It's at uh, sourcematerialpod at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes, Wes, because, you know. Yeah, five stars would be great. That would be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Wes. We really appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time. Until next time. Until next time.